You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you're well. The interview subject prepared for your listening pleasure. It's Aaron Stainthorpe, and he's from British Icons, My Dying Bride. As you'll hear through the conversation, I've been a fan of the band for some time. They're standing in uh, the community of doom metal aficionados is not to be questioned, and that reputation is only further enhanced by their brand new album for 2020, which will be released on the 6th of March, this time via Nuclear Blast, not Peaceville. It's called The Ghost of Orion. So let's hear all about that and a few other things. Here he is, Aaron Stainthorpe. Hello. Aaron Andrew Mackay-Smith calling for a chat. How are you going? Uh, yeah, very well, thank you. I wasn't sure if this was a Skype call, so I was up in the office waiting for it, but obviously... Oh, sorry, yeah. The line's gone off in the lounge. <laughs> Actually, uh, let me see here. I, I'm, you're, you are dead right. You know what? It's because it's bloody six o'clock in the morning here, and I've just gone straight to uh, the mobile number uh, rather than... Did well, you... I mean, it's absolutely fine. The, gir- the girls are heading off to bed, so I'm fine. I've got a cup of tea, and I'm ready with you are. <laughs> yeah, certainly, yeah. Look, yeah, and look, and on that note, um, look, first and foremost, I just wanted to wish you and your family uh, well and a lot of love because of what you've experienced there with your daughter because I was uh, reading Blabbermouth last night and, and from the podcast episode in preparation for our chat, and it was mentioned uh, that your daughter survived cancer and is now back at school. Yeah. Thank God for that. And look, as a parent myself of two daughters, mate i can only imagine what you and your family went through so i really hope it's all behind you guys now yeah we do too i mean she'll continue to go for um scans every three months for the next five years Hmm. um one on the chest an x-ray on the chest and ultrasound on her abdomen because the cancer was so huge it went from a shoulder to a hip Uh, and she's only five years old so it was it was quite a terrifying experience but yeah she's bright and bubbly we've got school holiday at the moment this week Uh, which uh, I forgot to tell the German record label, and they lined all these interviews up with Australia today. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, And I'd planned to take her out for the day. So, so, But thankfully, they've cancelled all the rest of the interviews for the rest of the week, so I can spend time with her. So, But yeah, it's moving in the right direction, so we're chuffed. (laughs) Wonderful, mate. Yeah, great to hear. And look, you know, and and the music, of course, you know, uh, my introduction to... My Dying Bride came about through the, and I think it's the still sublime, like Gods of the Sun, way back in 96. Uh, okay, yeah. You know, it's an album that, for me, you know, casts a mighty shadow over doom metal in general, and it continues to influence young musicians, because, of course, I've been a podcaster and a journal, I talk to heaps of people, and it's an album of yours, particularly in Australia, that gets cited quite a bit. You know, um, but, you know, of course, the reason for this chat is due to the uh, to the new album for 2020, the Ghost of Orion, and I can say for certain, uh, having had uh, quite a few listens to it now, that uh, for fans of the band, if they're wondering what it sounds like, uh, it continues. The, you know, the rich tradition of superbly written uh, and performed, thus executed offerings from the collective, because uh, it's it's really is. I, I'm not really uh, too familiar with some of the other albums in the catalogue to say it's one of your best, but it certainly sounds like it could potentially be one of your best, especially the way it's been uh, produced and uh, the sound, if you like. It just sounds beautiful with headphones on. Oh, yeah, we spent a lot of time in the studio doing post-production because Mark, the engineer, was convinced that this would be the best-sounding My Dying Bride album ever. There you go. And he even said, uh, he said to us as well, uh, because we've worked a long time with a guy called Mags on virtually every album, 
And Mark was so confident, and he says, look, I'll mix this, but also give a copy to Mags and let Mags mix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you don't like what I've got, at least you've got your traditional guy doing what he knows best. But once we heard Mark's version, we just said, there's no point sending it to Mags. This is epic. Mm. Well, what can I say? <laughs> it's one of those situations that just sounds like it unfolded the way it needed to then. Because, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very hard. I'm a musician myself. It's, it's brutally difficult to get the balance right, to ensure yeah. that, what, especially with, with uh, and, uh, music that is as nuanced as yours has always been. Um, but you, you've accomplished that. You certainly accomplished that. It's, um, and it even sounds great over those bloody awful iPhone speakers, you know, without <laughs> the headphones on as well. <laughs> I was listening to I was in the shower the other night, actually, and I had it on that way, and I found that I could hear just about everything that was going on. So, yeah, you've done, you guys have done a great job with that. And, and, and on the lyrical front, um, I've always found your lyrics have always been quite profound, and I, and I know where you're drawing your influences from, from the Bible, uh, Gothic and Romantic texts, but what subject matters were addressed this time around? Well, similar uh, tropes as in the past. Um, religion always rears its ugly head, obviously. Um, <laughs> love and grief. Uh, and I touched briefly on the experience I've recently had with my daughter on the third song, Tired of Tears. Mm. Um, that's the most obvious reflection of what I've just been through. Um, and you know what? I could have filled the whole album with that kind of stuff, but it would have been, it would have tainted it for me. It would have been such a black album that I would never have wanted to listen to it ever again, and I would have never wanted to play any of the songs live. Mm. Um, so I couldn't fill the whole album with my recent experiences, but obviously, you know, it was going to, it was going to appear at some point. Mm. Um, so that was, uh, and it's an obvious song as well. Tired of tears is, is definitely the one, um, mm. but yeah, all the usual subjects are there, um, because I find them very emotive and I find that music, it, it can be a force where you, you don't just listen to it. You actually feel it. And that, that, because that's the kind of music I like to listen to. Uh, and I think, you know, the louder you listen to music, the more you can get out of it. Um, so I often, when, I'm, when I've got a particularly good album, mm. um, then the headphones go on, pour myself a glass of wine and listen oh, yeah. with concentration. Uh, and you hear things that you don't hear when you have a, a sort of ambient volume. Um, and when you're dealing with some of the subjects we're dealing with, because we touch some people with some of these subjects, you know, as sort of fantastical as they might be from time to time, mm. you know, someone's dealt with grief at some point and when they listen to the way I deal with it, they kind of come along for the ride, you know, and they feel something and it's like they're not on their own and it's it's like a bit of a, you know, safety in numbers kind of thing. Um, mm. And, you know, we get a lot of people saying, you know, thank you for your music, it's helped me through some really tough times and that's yeah. quite amazing, really, because we, we didn't set out, you know, back in 1990 as being... Uh, a band who were expecting to to help people to be a crutch to some of them. You know, we just wanted to rock out and write some great songs. Mm. Um, little did we know that we would evolve into this monster um, that, despite the bleakness of the music, um, offered some sort of help to some people. Mm. I'm so glad that that you you recognise that aspect of your music because I was just talking to Mark from Suicide Silence about this very subject and about our heavy metal. If I can just call all the bands playing with loud, distorted guitars and uh, gruff vocals and what have you, just all under the banner of heavy metal, mate. I mean, 
it's I, I love me. I'm a I'm probably close to your vintage in terms of age, and uh, I remember especially when you guys. Uh, Maybe not when you first started, but certainly by the time Turn Loose the Swans and um, definitely by the time of Like Gods of the Sun and uh, 34%, uh, percent, et cetera, percent complete, heavy metal was really on the nose back in those days. Yeah. And I certainly thought for a period of time there that the genre would go so far underground that we wouldn't get a lot of talented musicians playing it anymore because it just wasn't commercially viable, if you understand. But right. it stuck around... And the thing about that is it's now stronger than ever. And really, to me, what that tells you is it, stri it strikes a very positive chord within people because it does help people get through all sorts of things that they're experiencing in their lives. And, and it's not just a lyrical component, it's also the music because it might match a mood. And I think without heavy metal for some people, mate, and I've, I've made this point so often, and I'm just so privileged to talk to artists such as yourself about it, mate, but without you guys doing what you're doing, man, a lot of people probably wouldn't make it. You know what I'm saying? No, I know. That's a weird sensation, isn't it? It's just such an unusual thing to think about. Um, but it's, it's, it's nice that people give us that kind of feedback. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't alter the way that we compose the songs and it doesn't alter the lyrics that I write. You know, I can still write some bleak stuff and when I reread it, I think, is that a bit close to the knuckle? But mm. because I had a genuine feeling about it when I wrote it, I will stick with it. Um, it's not like I'm, I, you know, it's not like there's a moral at the end of each story uh, and there's a, there's a little light shining at the end of each one and there's a, a you know, a little lift at the end. It's not like that. Um, I, I haven't been influenced by the help that we may have offered and given some people around the world. It's, mm. I can't write like that. Do you know what I mean? I can't yep. be directed by what the world thinks. Um, in the same way that if, if if the album got loads of negative reviews and people saying that was just the same old My Dying Bride, they've been around 30 years and it sounds like it. it again, it wouldn't. I wouldn't somehow decide, oh, I've got to up my game for the next album. I can't do those sorts of things. I can only write the way I write, and you know, I, I have no other skill. That's that's all <laughs> I can bring to the table, and it mm -hmm. has to. It just has to do, and I can please myself with it and so long as i'm pleased with my results then that's how i'll continue to write it so yeah despite being some sort of aid to certain people around the world from time to time it doesn't you know i don't suddenly think right i could become a new messiah here if i <laughs> pen my words correctly hmm. i'll get everybody saying what a great guy i am but it just doesn't work that way yeah yeah and and i think if you chase that that's uh god uh, the uh the road to uh, perdition, if you like, is littered with good intentions, and that that sort oh, yeah. of you know, and that sort of thing. There, that's exactly when bands try run into a lot of problems. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I think yeah, you guys have always been very true to yourselves, and people have recognised that. You know, so some albums I think have been better received than others, of course. But you get that. That just happens when you've got a fourteen or fifteen yeah. album career like what you've got. But ultimately, if you sell, if you are yourselves, I think that's what gives you career longevity too. You know, and yeah. The yeah. fact that we actually enjoy what we do. When when we formed a band, um, obviously we were young and we were a bit drunk and we thought this would be cool. But we really enjoyed it. We enjoyed each other's company and we enjoyed penning interesting sounding songs. You know, be they five minutes long or fifteen minutes long, and not mm. necessarily in the English language. Um, and the riffs were awkward timed riffs, and we'd throw violins in there, and it was. Mm. 
it was, it, you know, we never had our eyes on the money, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but we always enjoyed what we were doing. And that's why we're still here today. You know, people say, how have you managed to make it to 30 years? And it's, it's not really that challenging when you've enjoyed what you've been doing. Yes. Yeah, and that's a really good point because, look, the band practically invented doom metal and certainly romantic doom metal on the, uh, the album Turn the Swans Loose. In 1994, it's still the touchstone as well. I think universally was. I think, um, like Gods of the Sun might do very well down here in Australia, Turn the Swans Loose, I think, is the universally uh, regarded... Just the other way around, it's Turn Loose the Swans. Sorry, Turn Loose the Swans. My apologies. I've I've, I've not cut and pasted from bloody Wikipedia that well in that instance, (laughs) have I? (laughs) Um, But look, it's it's an album that I'm not that familiar with, to be honest with you, as you can tell. Uh, but I know, I know for a fact that it's been copied again and again, and particularly by God knows how many European and also South American bands, because there's yeah. still there's a lot of stuff that I get sent um, that reminds me of your earlier material, meaning that the you know the gruff vocals and the violins in particular. Yeah. You know, um, you, know you made a decision on a really uh, that album there around about that time to incorporate the blend of spoken word, melodic vocals, death growls, and it's all set against those wonderful doomy riffs of your compadre there, compatriot there, and, and the, a, it's a real violin too there. That's important, not a synthesizer. Oh, yeah, Martin, was he was a fully-fledged member of the band, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, and I think you were one of the first to really be able to pull that off successfully, but could, could you imagine that, that that sound would be the touchstone for literally hundreds of bands? In the following no, years, we knew um, we knew we liked classical elements, and that's what Martin originally applied for the bass role because we didn't have a bass player to begin with. But we'd just given that job to Adrian, um, so uh, and this was before emails. So Martin wrote a letter to me with his address on. I had to write back saying, <laughs> um, "Sorry, but that post is now taken. But thanks. Oh, and if you can play anything else." You know, because we're always looking for quirky ideas. Give us a shout. And his response mm. was, oh, I also play violin. So he then returned a tape um, of himself playing along to our demo. And it sounded amazing. It really uh, embellished what what was already there. Mm. And we thought, hang on, we need to give this guy a toot. So we met him. And uh, when we heard what he could do, we just said, right, it's a given, you know, let's get this guy in the band straight away. It's fine using uh, um, using people as guest musicians who then don't appear live, but this guy, we wanted him in the band, we wanted the violins live. Um, and we did it, you know. I mean, a lot of people had violins and other instruments, uh, you know, played on the keyboard. The, you know, the synthesizer was quite good at mimicking those sort of instruments. And, and it, you know, again, it embellishes people's albums. But to have the actual guy there and to bring him on tour... Uh, you know, it, it was amazing, really, especially mm. for the time. Uh, and Martin had two wonderful electric violins. One of them, I remember, had gold strings. Bloody it hell. was quite a lavish affair. Yeah, it was. Mm. It was quite a fantastic piece of equipment. Um, and it, it kind of it helped make the mark with my dying bride because obviously with Paradise Lost and Anathema, that you know we were we were considered the, the peaceful three at the time. Yeah. And so you needed you needed a certain one-upmanship on the other guys. Um, in order to be um, noticed. Because if you all started doing the same stuff, then, well, it just looks like you're squabbling. Um, but when you take a, a new route and head out on a different tangent, then you're making your own statement. Um, and the violin really helped go along with that. And it was uh, it was wonderful because it wasn't just there to embellish what we were writing on the guitars and hmm. the vocals. Martin would contribute his own stuff because he could play guitar as well. So when he'd hear whatever Calvin and Andy came up with on guitar, 
he could hear another guitar harmony in his mind but would translate it onto the violin and bring that in as well and it's like boom this is wonderful let's uh, let's let's carry on with this and it, it, it they were great times mm. yeah i bet yeah well, you can tell by the way the music sounds and, and of course the the martin you're referring to there is martin powell who He's been in yeah. a ton of bands since, really, but I think Cradle of Filth might be... <laughs> no, a proper musical <laughs> prostitute. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen him live, actually. I, I saw Cradle of Filth back in, God, 2001, I think it was, on one of yeah. their mini mini Australian tours. And uh, But, yeah, you mentioned something in there about the Peaceville 3. That's really interesting because um, people did tend to group Paradise Lost, Anathema and you guys in, in the one basket, didn't they? I, I know I certainly did. It was, uh, you sort of, it, it just sort of, there was a compliment the complementary aspect oh, yeah. of the music that you guys were doing. So was there ever anything early on with you guys where you thought about maybe getting a tour together or something like that? We've always tried to get tours together with those guys. Um, we did do, not tours, but we played certainly individual shows um, with each other back in those days because the, the scene, particularly in the north of England, was vibrant at the time. Hmm. Um, and that helps because in Bradford there was a great rock club called the Frog and Toad and everyone used to go there and that's where I met the other members of My Dying Bride. That's where Paradise Lost met. It's where a where? ton of bands met. Um, and just opposite was a place called the Queen's Hall. Um, quite a big old Victorian place, but underneath it was a really cool place called the Cellar Bar and you could hire it out for £50, including lights and PA and... Literally, you just get a friend on the door, charge £2 in, you sell your own T-shirts, and you make your own posters and plaster them all over the town a week or two before. And people turned up in their hordes. And it would be My Dying Bride, Anathema, Paradise Lost, Cathedral, Pitch Shifter. We'd just round up as many people as we could get who were still interested. Again, pre, pre-internet. pre So you wrote to these people um, saying, you know, we, we, we're doing a gig, a gig in Bradford on this night um, do you want to come along as well? Let us know and we'll put your name on the posters. Because there was no real arrogance back then. There was no sort of, oh, I'm not playing with you. You're, you're a tiny little band. Or I want to headline. There was none of that. It was mm. just, people just said yes or no. Um, and it was wonderful. And the scene really burgeoned around that sort of time. And so we got to know all these bands really, really well. Um, so we did gig with them, but we never actually toured with them because Paralyse Lost were a few steps ahead of us and Anathema are a few steps behind us, um, which really, you know, it, it was ideal, really, because PL could have headlined and we mm. could have backed them up, but it just never, it never, I, never, I don't know why, but it just never really materialised, um, except for the only, the only time it did, of course, was when it was Parallel's lost 30th anniversary, mm, yeah. and we played with them in Paris and London, and there was supposed to be a third gig as well, I can't remember where that was, but again, even that didn't happen. Um, so two out of three wasn't bad. Um, but, yeah, it, it would have been great. And you know what? I know Anathema are doing sort of prog stuff now, so that's not going to happen. But there's still chances we can tour with Paradise Lost. We're, we're great friends with them. We've known them for years. Um, and, you know, we're looking to get to Australia. I don't know why we've never been, but now that we're on Nuclear Blast, yeah. Yeah. we might be able to get together with some of their other bands and get a, like a package deal and tour Australia as a package um, because for some reason it, it just doesn't seem viable for My Dying Bride to do, to do their own headlining tour so we, we'll come down mm-hmm. with some other guys uh, that, that's definitely doable Yeah, that that was going to be my final question about you re- you, you uh, literally read my mind on it actually because you do have fans down here. <laughs> I've done a lot of interviews today <laughs> <laughs> Well, Look, and that's the thing and I hope, I hope that's come back mate from the Australian journalism 
uh, contingent. Uh, mate, you do have a lot of fans down here, and people have been wondering how come you haven't sort of come down. It's There's yourselves, Russian you know man. What? It baffles me. <laughs> it baffles me as much as you guys down there because we've seen... Um, <clears throat> I hate to say this, but we've seen lesser bands than My mm. Dying Bride touring mm. Australia, and we are baffled as to how they've managed to get the funds together to do that. We sort of assume that someone in the band must have a lot of money, or they've borrowed a lot of money, and they're mm. going to be in the red for the rest of their musical career. Um, because we could go to Australia tomorrow, but it would cost us an absolute fortune, and we'd be in debt for a long time. Yeah. So it's it's, for us, it's just not been viable. We're quite careful with our money because we've never, ever had a manager. Myself and Andrew have managed the band from day one. Okay, yeah. And because of that, we're very tight-fisted. And we won't go anywhere unless, I mean, at least break even, uh, which is fair enough. You know, we've, we've done loads of gigs where we don't make a single penny, but we, it didn't cost us anything to get there and back. And I think that's fair enough. Hmm. Um, but, you know, when you certainly... 10, 15 years ago, when you did the maths, it was, it was suicide to tour Australia. You, you would just end up thousands and thousands of pounds in debt, which would make you extremely unhappy, and that isn't what we're after. Um, now things are looking a lot brighter. Uh, I think it's a much more viable option these days. Hmm. Good to hear. <laughs> Glad to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, mate, look, it's, it's been a wonderful to, to finally chat to you. I've been a, a fan of the band, uh, particularly... Uh, the album there, Like Gods of the Sun, for a very long time, mate. So thank you very much for crafting that. And, uh, mate, God thank bless you and, much. you know, go forth and conquer and definitely hope to see you guys down here very soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've, after all these interviews today, um, and there's actually more Australian ones coming, I, I, will, I will just poke our promoter in London again just to mm, say, please. you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of buzz about Oz. What's happening? Is there any movement there? Uh, there's got to be something happening. Um, because I did mention, actually, to Nuclear Blast, when we went to visit them in Germany, uh, mm. I said to them, would you be able to help us get to Australia? And they just sort of looked at us as if to say, well, of course we can. <laughs> you know, like, duh. Yeah, it's no problem. We'll put you together with a band who's already played there and goes down well there. And you just tag along with those guys. And yeah. it's like, all right, that was easy. Very straightforward in that respect. Yeah, there's some good, really good promoters here these days too, mate, too, actually, it's got to be said. Um uh, Dicey from Soundworks is fantastic, you know, just does this week in, week out, really, literally these days. We've got so many bands from Europe and the US coming down. Um, yeah. This band's a, a spoil for choice, but it's a wonderful thing. We're watching high-caliber international bands such as My Dying Bride on a weekly basis these days, mate, and that's never happened before. You know, the market's really opened up. So, yeah, mate, hopefully that happens sooner rather than later because I'll certainly be in the crowd. Yeah, and do you know if bands fly straight there or do they stop off somewhere and do some, you know, like do some other gigs? Do they go to Japan and then work their way down or do they call in at India first? What Or do they just go straight to us? Straight down, yeah, believe it or not, these really? days. Yeah, with the packages. Um, so um, the, so the recent one that uh, came through last week was Cattle Decapitation and Revocation. Now, they just right. came to Australia and New Zealand. Tend to, we tend to get bundled in together. So if you go to yeah. one, you go to the other. Um so, yeah, it's usually just straight down, mate. And um, I, I know that with, with a guy like Dicey at Soundworks, uh, from a financial perspective, um, I know he runs an extremely tight ship. I've done some crewing with him before uh, for Mayhem and a few other, of Mayhem was actually. And, um, yeah, and, and I know that he's sitting down with a laptop 
you know, almost a couple of hours before the band is going on stage, crunching the numbers. It's just a constant thing to make sure that that the, that it is an exercise yeah. that is worthwhile for band and fans. Otherwise, I mean, it's got to be economically viable. Otherwise, you'll stop coming down. Bands will stop coming down. Yeah. But but no, no, honestly, straight down that old thing where I think if you're a big lumbering band like Faith No More or um, Guns N' Roses, you basically got to do the whole local Asia Pac region, Japan, right, yeah, Indonesia. Yeah. Um, Malaysia, what have you, you know, do the whole yeah, thing. we've but... got a crew member who's just done Judas Priest World Tour and they've been to some <coughs> some weird and wonderful places. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw, yeah, I saw their very all-encompassing tour there. But look, it makes sense for bands of that size who are going to be playing in, you know, amphitheaters, not amphitheaters, but, you know, maybe even outdoor festivals and or yeah. their own outdoor festival or something. But for you guys, and you'll play in a venue, venue here called Crowbar or... Um, uh, the uh, the Trifford or something like that um, in Brisbane here, you know, I mean they're they're sort of four hundred capacity, three hundred and fifty capacity uh, rooms, um, yeah. and if that's multiplied across all of the capitals, mate, it's quite worthwhile to come down, you know. Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah, but uh, look, I better let you get to that next one. So mate, it's been awesome to finally ch- chat to you, and thank you so much for making the music that you have. Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your kind words and thanks for your time as well. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, mate. No worries. Cheers. Have a good day. You too, man. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was Aaron Stainthorpe from the UK icons, My Dying Bride. Thanks so much for listening.